What's really important is, I call it the felt presence of direct experience which is a fancy term, which just simply means we have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Don't watch TV. Don't read magazines. Don't even listen to NPR. Create your own roadshow. The, the, the nexus of space and time where you are now, now is the most immediate sector of your universe. And if you're worrying about Michael Jackson or Bill Clinton or somebody else, then you are disempowered. You're giving it all away to icons. Icons which are maintained by an electronic media. So that, you know, you, you want to dress like X or have lips like Y or something. This is, this is shit-brained, this kind of thinking. That is all cultural diversion. And what is real is you, you and your friends and your uh, associations, your highs, your orgasms, your hopes, your plans, your fears. And we are, we are told, no, we're unimportant, we're peripheral. Get a degree, get a job, get a this, get a that, and then you're a player. Player. You don't even want to play in that game. You want to reclaim your mind and get it out of the hands of the cultural engineers who want to turn you into a half-baked moron consuming all this trash that's being manufactured out of the bones of a dying world. Where is that at? Hello, hello. Welcome to Sudden Movements. I, uh, I guess it's been like three weeks since I released the last episode. My intention was to do this weekly, but um, what a time to be alive right now. The world is in chaos, uh, good chaos, I think. But over these last three weeks, <clears throat> over these last three weeks, I didn't really feel like my voice was quite appropriate and... Uh, I thought there was, you know, attention needed elsewhere, so I, I put my focus there. So, uh, here we are. Welcome to the second episode, A Mind Made Hatter. So I brought my girlfriend, my lovely girlfriend, along for the second podcast again. Because, um, oddly, I think she's she probably knows me more... Th- you know, better and sees me for me more than most people have in my life that I've known for years. So I'm trying to uh, give an authentic unpacking of my life that's brought me to this point. Not about the band stuff, that was the last one, but more about uh, my self-healing and my self-discovery. And uh, there is kind of a fun little uh, timeline to that and adventure that I feel is important to uh, discuss as somewhat of a bridge to get to the point where I want to talk about some other woo things that if you don't know what woo is, uh, you should probably stop listening. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it's thoughts that are outside of culture, outside of the norm that people think are kind of crazy and 
wacky, but there's so much truth to it. So I want to get to that point because that's what's going on in my life currently. And I feel a, a strong desire to talk about those things more openly. But I have to give you some backstory to that or I am just going to sound pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so be patient with this little uh, unpacking of that. It's just to give some context to everything. And Jess is a face that I can talk to instead of the wall. And maybe she'll have questions or expanding ideas about some of those things. Because you went through an awakening a long time ago and have been alone in the rafters by yourself until finally everybody's caught up now and you now have a platform to talk about it. <laughs> a long two decades, a long two decades of being a weirdo. Um, to define woo a little bit for people who don't know um, that particular, uh, it's supposed to be an insult, but we have taken it back. Um, it used to be like crazy spirituality and now the conversation is shifting more around just consciousness and some science nerds and stuff are even starting to get into it. But um, Which is good. Science needs to kind of get on board with mysticism. Right? Yeah, I think science and mysticism are, are going to merge here in the next few years. I feel like there's just one piece of quantum physics that's going to click things together. But you can kind of see it coming into the lexicon uh, and the collective consciousness of society. People are starting to talk about the energy and the vibe and everything. We're all starting to tune into the fact that we're somehow connected. And it's interesting how um, how a lot of that tuning in was facilitated by us all being separated from each other during the quarantine. Yeah. So um, you were already weird before the quarantine, and um, I sent you something the other day from the holistic psychologist with the stages of spiritual awakening. Yes, perfect. As a good guide, maybe, for this whole conversation. I'm going to pull it up here, too, on my phone once I reach it. Okay. I'm going to read it real quick. So the stages of spiritual awakening are stage one, emotional rock bottom. An emotional emptiness where you question if this is all there is, complete with confusion, pain, frustration, and with life. I feel like that's a lot of what you... Um, alluded to in the last episode stage two becoming aware an awareness that you have an ego which is the voice in your head childhood conditioning that has you living within behavioral patterns that no longer serve you stage three the hermit or the cocoon phase a pull inwards to spend time alone in reflection questioning everything you've been told a pool to learn all that you can avoid small talk and chaos draining interactions the beginning of the birth of the true self. Once again, very alone feeling. Very alone feeling. This is um, feeling alone in a room full of people is a way that when it started happening to me, that was the description. But um, small talk starts to feel like fingernails on a chalkboard. Um, stage four, the rebirth. With expanded consciousness, you experience what it is to access choice beyond ego. You'll be pulled to show others how to do the same, which creates a ripple effect of awakening. Um, I think stage four is where you start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, was it your experience pretty true to these stages? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, I guess it was pretty right on the money. I felt a emotional rock bottom for for a long while and not understanding it. So that was probably the longest spot um like it's hard for me to actually pinpoint when i started to 
I mean, I guess I when I really started to pay attention to it, that I can pinpoint that moment. But there were years before that that I kind of was feeling a lot of uh, now looking back that I understand a lot of it. I could see that I was tuning into other people's uh, feelings and thoughts in ways that I, I wasn't I didn't know what it was. And not being able to express those things caused me to just go further and further into that emotional rock bottom. But like now looking back at those, I can see how those were they're beneficial things that I wasn't um, letting kind of come to the surface more and didn't feel safe talking about. So, yeah. I think an interesting thing about this process is when it first starts and, you, you know, we go through a bunch of these in life, but like when it first starts, you don't think, oh, I'm feeling dissatisfied with life and disillusioned with this reality I've been presented with. Uh, perhaps I'm going through an awakening. You, th- you look at your environment and you go, I don't like this thing in my environment. And for you, it was like fame and, um, you know, the lifestyle that came with that. Like the disillusionment gets kind of projected onto the experience that you've had. And then you kind of like experience the awakening through your relationship, whatever, with whatever that thing is. For some people, for me, it's like usually a relationship, uh, like a romantic relationship. I'll, I will process these things with, but I mean, that was. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I'm thankful that I somehow kept one foot out of it or, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways I look at that, the like ride that I took in that band as like, it was uncomfortable in a lot of ways. And so at certain times I was like, God, why am I in this? This feels so uncomfortable. Or what is it that I don't like about it? There were a lot of things I loved about it, but um, yeah, being, it was like a catalyst that like brought me to that point of like emotional rock bottom and to like start looking inward for satisfaction instead of identifying outside everything that like should make me happy, but wasn't that just felt like it was useless at, at that point, like ha- to have so much fame and money and abundance of things that didn't represent my emotional feeling on the inside was a, a very bizarre feeling. And that's why I did kind of become very passive and mysterious and veered away from that to understand it more. Um, and really didn't get the start feeling like I was being productive until I went inward and like started to search for something inside of me that wasn't congruent wasn't right you know um yeah and so that's uh, it started with like a a lot of alone time and then starting to read some philosophy books some self-help stuff um and being kind of pressured to start to go to like therapy and things but I, i i wanted to get it for myself i didn't want somebody else to kind of tell me how so I think the first thing that comes into my head that like I really started to get some momentum on it was when I went to China uh, with the band and we, I was going there and I think I saw on Instagram, I was following this, uh, this account called niche, I think at the time. And it had, it has famous quotes from philosophers and actresses, musicians, and Bruce Lee was on there. And I don't remember what the quote was, but it was profound to me. It was like very deep. And I just always thought Bruce Lee was this great martial artist and movie star. And uh, I was like, damn, he's there's something else there. So we were going to China and I was like, I'm going to buy a book. It'll be cool for, to like understand the culture some more when I go as well. And that book gave me a an actionable thing to kind of try. And it was... He was describing his craft of martial arts as a there is a aspect of flow involved into it. And it was like one of the key things he leaned on is why he became so powerful. 
and so good at his craft um, through a lot of like effortlessness is what seemed to be effortlessness. There's a, you know, there's a idea of like you should be studying a craft for a certain amount of years to perfect the technicalities of it and get it under your belt so you can just like not have to think about it too much and you can, you can um, do it and be good at it. And at that point, it actually is more beneficial for you to stop thinking about it uh, when you're in action and doing it. And so you, you let go and you trust your inside, your instincts and everything to come online. And that becomes like a superpower and you get better at it quick, quickly. And then you also like in the moment, you're more, um, you can like improv better and you can really like move with the energy for him as martial arts that he could fight with somebody else and he could almost like see where their movements were because he just wasn't tapped into thinking about, okay, their movements coming this way. I have to go this way. He just did it before they came there. And so he was one step ahead of them every time because he was tuned into something else with inside him that was in this like flow state. And I understood it deeply to myself because I could see how I could do that in music and just, I had been playing drums for like 15 years or something up until that moment. And so I knew enough to be able, and I had moments and shows and recording that when I would uh, be comfortable, um, I could let go and I would come across things that I didn't think I could do or were very in the moment and like could have only happened in the moment because they were responding to another musical element that it would have taken me a long time to think through it and practice it. And so it just sporadically happened or spontaneously happened. Um, so I did that on that, that, uh, tour. I started, uh, really thinking about that and bringing that into every show. And like I said, I had, I'd done it before, but I didn't know why it was happening. And this was just a very clear understanding of that process and allowed me to jump into that. And so that was like a key thing in my head that I was like, there is something else within reality that, that is going on here that if you check out of your mind, you have access to something else that seemed to be even more powerful than the mind to be that the mind was a little bit slower. If you're thinking about what you have to do technically next, you could let go and like you, you were something else. So I should back up just real quickly from that is that I, at that point I was, I considered myself atheist or agnostic. I didn't have much spiritual connection and I grew up in a family that wasn't religious at all, but I did get into church when I was in middle school middle school through high school, I was in the worship band in a big church. And I primarily got into it because I loved music. And uh, my friend at the time was already in church. And their, the worship band was uh, made of high schoolers that were all graduating. And so I think I was in like seventh grade at the time. Um, and they needed a new band. And so my buddy was a guitar player and they needed a drummer. So he asked me to come to the youth groups to check it out, and I came and had a good time. It was a huge church, so it was like a nightclub for middle schoolers, basically, at this church. Uh, you know, a square nightclub. Yeah, no, I'm familiar. <laughs> but it, uh, I loved that community around it, and that was, and I didn't, the teaching wasn't super clear to me, but I was just like, oh, okay, whatever, this church thing, this is great. There's like, you know, the youth groups have 300 to 500 people a night. It's like a rock show, you know, this is like my dream. So, uh I got involved in it because of the music. That's what really pulled me in. And then uh, it was a big church, so we went on mission trips, traveled the world, and I got a lot of experience uh, in that world. That actually set me up to when I did get into music later in L.A. I had already had a lot of experience playing with in front of a big crowd and playing with like 
good technical gear. We had in-ear monitors, all these things that like you wouldn't have normally had uh, practice with, like playing to a click track, all kinds of stuff that was so beneficial uh, when the band did take off. But when I got to L.A., I went to church on my own for like a year maybe. Um, and then at that point, I really, I just had so many questions. It was easy to go through middle school and high school not really having to engage much with the teachings and like prove that I believed it. I had questions, but I, again, I was, my focus was the music. I was having more fun with that. And I was like, uh, I felt, I filled a good leadership role in that light, but I didn't, you know, I didn't have to give my like testimony a lot or like preach or anything. So I could kind of slide through it. But when I moved to LA, all these questions were like really on the forefront of my mind about it. And I couldn't really find many answers to them and, uh, didn't find fulfillment anymore. So I kind of was like, why am I even going to this? It's, it's, not giving me much fulfillment. So stopped going to church and then, you know, through a string of a couple of years, just really was like, okay, that there is no God, there is nothing there. We're just lucky to be here kind of on that like Darwin mode of thinking. It's just evolution and we have one life, we're done. Cool. Lucky to be here. So I was atheist for for a bit. And then um, I, I grappled with some of it a a little through the process of the band because some of the guys in the band are more religious and they come from a very religious background. So, you know, we wouldn't get in arguments, but discussions around it. And it was always difficult for me to try to, uh, grapple with that. So I would, in my mind would ask questions again, like, do I, is there a God? And I, I just never found much fulfillment with it. So until this point, um, to then I had some kind of validation through this, like, experience that there was something else that was uh didn't have to be didn't fit in the box of religion really it was like a personal experience that validated it for me and that made me really really curious about it um so on that same trip actually my ex-girlfriend gave me uh the Eckhart Tolle book called The Power of Now and uh I was kind of resistant to read it because it just didn't feel like it it felt like a self-help book and I was kind of trying to stay away from that it didn't really do have much value to me the self-help stuff um but I read it and it you know it it, uh blew my mind and I I don't think I read it in like two days and then ordered a couple other of his books and just couldn't get enough of it and um I think we were on that trip for about a month and I when I got home I was just so hungry for more of that and I I the ego thing that happened in that, like his Eckhart Tolle's explanation of the ego and his uh, unpacking of that and that there's like two uh, voices in your head and that you there's like um, a space in between thoughts and all of his teachings were just like exactly what I needed to kind of get me started on that path. Right. To like separate myself from myself kind of and like start to play with the duality of it. And... Um, I so I had read most of his books and I started listening to lectures online and then that led me to Alan Watts just through the YouTube um kind of if you like this video you'll like this one and Alan Watts just looks so damn cool in the video I was like this guy looks like he knows some shit Are you saying that because he kind of looks like you? Well, I guess he does look like <laughs> if when I'm older You're like this guy I hope is I pretty like hot. That. Yeah. <laughs> No, he just seemed uh, wise and like trustworthy. And then listening to his lectures, he's like this Englishman, Englishman, and he didn't have 
a lot of, uh, he didn't edit his language. He was very kind of brash and uh, just exactly what I needed, that kind of spirituality. I didn't like the love and light stuff uh, so much. And Alan Watts helped me understand a little bit more about the dark side of things, like that to not be afraid of it and that it's an integral part of reality. You can't have just good or just bad. There was a, there was a middle way between those. Um, and that's the thing with the love and light I never resonated with. It was just always so happy and blissful where I was feeling like hell. I was feeling so bad. I couldn't just like turn the dial to love and light without like, I, it just didn't feel right. You know, I was like leaving something behind. So, um, I start from that. I like understood the, the value of the dark parts of ourselves and the dark parts of reality. Um, and that there was a, it wasn't just about like popping into the middle and being like, right, okay, light and dark, you have to have one without the other, but it was giving more attention to the dark parts as far as like if you're trying to heal because those are the parts that were hidden from us in our lives because we weren't comfortable um, sharing that with anybody or even looking at it honestly for ourselves and that that was that could be a transferable power to like look at that and try to understand it forgive it or just see it and love it and then bring that into the middle um and that that was going to, re- that could like release a lot of our anxieties and depression because it's not so scary anymore and it doesn't need to be scary. There's actually nothing, it's there, it happened. And so it's okay to like approach it in your mind um, or in, in meditation or whatever and go there and try to heal it. Um, and so that really like, it just got me on this path of like, okay, there's so much here that's like, I can, I can start to practice and get validation within myself, not from somebody else. Um, and that really like started to, to really, uh, rev up this internal thing, internal mechanism that I, I could just, it was about personal experience primarily. And I didn't, I wanted to go read all the books and like start looking at other religions and see what they had to offer. Cause there's so many similarities, but I didn't really, um, have a lot of desire to subscribe to one belief or to subscribe to any one narrow thing because it was inside me I could have this other kind of conglomeration of all those things that that resonated and that worked and that I could prove that within myself by my own experience and my own like mystical experiences or through dreams and stuff. There's uh, so much available when you don't like get on one track and that's the only right track, but you rather realize that there is truth everywhere to be found and that you can go to all these different gardens and take some flowers yeah. and make your own, like what, what is true for you and also what's true for you in that moment. Cause there might be part of what Alan Watts said that really resonated with that part of your journey and a bunch that didn't, that if you went back and looked now, uh, you'd be like, oh, now that I've reached this part of the journey, this Dude, makes so much sense. Yeah, and that's what was really wild. It, it That has happened many times. Like, I just went back to Eckhart, uh, you know, a, like a week ago. Uh, because when I did that and I started moving forward, I was kind of like, oh, the Eckhart stuff's like elementary school. It's like not, yeah, I'm past that. Don't need to ever go back. But I re-listened to it. And from these different junctures of your uh, mind and self-seeking and educating yourself, other things become clear as you start to go back and in deeper ways that were there that you didn't really see at that time. 
And so that was kind of, after I hit the Alan Watts thing, I started to just really listen to what internally resonated um, and follow that more than anything instead of listening to what somebody else was going to recommend. I, I would somewhat, but I would try it. And if it didn't resonate, I would just put it down and not even say, well, that's false. That's not it. I was just like, it's not hitting me in the heart right now. So I'm going to put it aside. And um, through the Alan Watts stuff, uh, I think that's there was a moment, I wish I could remember the exact lecture that I listened to, but I was in the studio when I listened to it. And I, um, I was laying on the ground, like in the dark, and I was feeling really depressed, something in life. And I just was down here getting like in total trance, like lifted away, listening to him. And something ha- it was something he was saying, it popped me out, like fully out of reality. And it was like he, you know, because he's dead and gone now. And he, it was like he was still alive, and, but he was just like up off the earth and he was speaking directly to me. And it was laughable. It was like funny. He was like kind of saying a joke. And then it was something along the lines of like, and then you realize like none of it's real. But it is real, but it, it doesn't need to be. And it's all, this is all a game. And it's, there's a some kind of like comic, comedic element that comes with that. Like when you pop out that there's, it's like a laughable thing for some weird reason. And it was, it felt like a father or something. Like he just, uh, you know, kind of pulled me out and then laughed about it. And then I was laughing. I was just like healing over in laughter and in bliss and, and like total wonder of like, what the, oh my God, like what have I been doing this whole time? I've been confused, but it's okay. And like, this is it now. Oh my God. Like this, it's, it's, I'm going to figure this out somehow. And I think the funny thing also is like a lot of these junctures, you, you feel like it's done. Like, he called it Satori is like this, this moment of awakening where you, you really truly pop out and you get a sense that, uh, we are all one and we're in this like big mandala of reality. It all works together. There's no hierarchy to it. And, um, but you at certain levels, like when you hit the top of your understanding, there is a sense of like relief from anxiety and relief from like things you've been hanging on to. And you want it to be over and you think you're done. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's never really done. And so there were moments that like when that happened, I was just kind of like, yes, I'm, it's over. I'm done. All my depression's gone. I have solved it. And little did I know there were like so many other shadow areas of my life that I hadn't even looked at and accepted. And uh, over the next week, dig- keeping digging in more, I like had another moment and it was just laughable because I was like, oh, I thought I was done. This is ridiculous. This is not gonna ever really be done this is just a a a very complicated process and uh the joy is kind of endlessly at least for me it's like endlessly learning about it and and finding out more information and then integrating that into your life and actually healing from it like for real healing from it um so at that point i actually um one of the youtube kind of became like an oracle for me where i would just let it because by that time I had like Eckhart Tolle, Alan Watts, like so many of those videos in my feed that it started popping in other things that I would like. And I would start to follow those around and see what resonated. And Terrence McKenna kept coming up. And so 
I jumped into him. I loved his voice. He's got this very unique voice, and his like enunciation is so cool. And uh, I started listening, but he he was so more complex, and he had all these very dense, big ideas that I found myself in some of the lectures like picking up little bits, but then a lot of it I wasn't totally understanding. Um, it felt good, but it just was like maybe this isn't right right now. This is going to kind of throw me off or whatever. So I actually put it down um, and came back to him later. And that was one of those moments where when I came back, I could understand everything he was saying in a clear way. Wow. Um, so before that, I did go to in the Carl in the um, Alan Watts stuff. He mentioned Carl Jung a lot and uh, a lot about the Red Book. Which, if you don't know what the Red Book is, I feel like we could make a whole podcast on that. You should just go look into it at this juncture. Maybe at some other point we can talk more about it. But it is a very magical book, and it was time-released, um, I think, in the 40s or 50s. At some point when he finished it, he wrote it like half of his life, but he didn't release it. He died, and he wrote in his will, like, this should be released at another date. I think there was like a, a year, like a 15- or 20-year window that he asked for it to then be released. So it's really cool to me because it, a lot of Carl Jung's um, papers and books and ideas were all of a certain time, and you could get those anywhere. But this book, a lot of the Carl Jung fans and stuff were waiting for it to be released because there was so much emphasis and mis mystery around it when he was writing it. A lot of people knew he was writing it, and nobody could get their hands on it. And so it's only been out. I mean, I, I forget the date. I think it was 2009 or somewhere around then, but it hasn't been out that long at all. And uh, so I was told... God, the timing of that is so interesting. I know, and it makes you think that he knew something. I mean, I think he obviously did. He knew something way more than the people did at that time. And he, it's almost like he knew that his book wouldn't have been understood in the right way had it been released then. Because essentially what he was studying at the time was schizophrenia. And in this book, he's fucking with that like in himself he was exploring those ideas in his own mind and that was very controversial and at that time if you got labeled as schizophrenia as schizophrenic it was like a big deal and they they still don't really i mean i think they still don't understand exactly what that that uh it's not even a sickness i wouldn't even call it just that state of the mind um but there was fear that like you know if he put that out there it, it he would be locked up and like misunderstood and his his whole all of his previous work would go out the window so it was smart for him to do that but that book uh i started reading on the road and it's very dense it takes a, you know, a long time to read and to really understand it um but that book started to get me it's there's a lot about dreams in it as well and this is kind of hypnagogic state which is the, that space in between waking and sleeping and uh, I started to like really start to document my dreams and try to understand them more in the way that he uh, was doing it. And uh, I started to have like a lot more validating experiences that were more in the like mystical or supernatural experience that like is in either the hypnagogic state or actual waking life that were gigantic signs um, like from that book that were very congruent that some point I'll talk about in detail because they are really wild. Um, but they were, 
you know, synchronistic type things that were just so right on the money. Like sometimes it would be, I would read three pages in one day because that's about how long it takes. It's so dense. And that next day or two, I would have like moments that were so exact from that book happen to me. Wow. And people say things to me um, that were right in line with that book. And so, again, this was another validating moment. Like I'm on the right path or I'm trying, I'm doing something internally that is like stirring up something and it's making me change and it's healing me and I'm becoming something like a little bit different and, and uh, being able to relate to myself in a way I never had before. And that was making the, you know, the depression, the alone feeling kind of go away. But it still felt alone because I couldn't talk to anybody about it. And I think that there's also something that I picked up somewhere along the way with an Alan Watts or some other mystical book that was around that, um, possibly about like with, within Buddhism or like the idea of a bodhisattva or something that, that put some emphasis on like in the, some of these processes, it's... Uh, worth thinking about not opening your mouth about it a lot and trying to share your, your experiences or even stand at the rooftops and say, reality is not real. Like, you know, we are not who we think we are and, and all of these things because it is a lot of the stuff is so incongruent with culture. Um, you get pinned as somebody that's mentally unstable or insane. And it makes your whole process much more difficult when you have somebody thinking that you're that and trying to convince you that you're that. Um, I feel like uh, so many people have gone through this process or are currently going through this process that it's um, different now, or I would have assumed it was different now before kind of watching. <laughs> but um, when I was waking up, there was so little about it, and the Internet was still really weird, and Google was still like a hip search engine that a lot of people didn't know about. But finding the words to find information about this was difficult. And so I just lived in certain sections of the bookstore and was just skimming books for info. But it felt like to me, if I could just sit down with someone and tell them the reveal that reality's not real, they're going to be like, oh, my God, you're right. And I could sometimes create that experience with someone. And then as soon as they were out of my presence, it's almost like they were plugging into my awakening. It's kind of when I learned that like, oh, this awakening is almost like everyone has like a timer of when this process starts for them. Yeah. And if they try to read a book or listen to an Alan Watts lecture, or they try to listen to any of these things, this podcast, either they're in the process and they can hear it. Or they're not yet in the process, and it sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. Yeah, totally. And it was such an interesting thing that it was like, no, no, I'm point, like, look at this, 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 and this. Reality's not real. This is some sort of game or something. And people are like, wow, <laughs> totally. what kind of drugs are you doing? You know, and it's it's so interesting because when it's happening to you, it's it's clear as day. And you're like, I just have to tell someone this. Yeah. And then boom. And then, but that's not how it works at all. Yeah, totally. Because it is doing that to somebody. They, you might not uh, know how off-putting that's going to be because of how much they are in that that seat of of their beliefs in life. And if in one moment you throw them off that, they have to actually deny so much of their life to to be convinced of that. And that's 
super difficult to do just on the spot if you weren't asking for that or ready for it and that that can be very jarring and then they attack you for being so insane and then that creates this weird feedback thing that doesn't really help anybody and so I remember being um, pretty into that like I was just kind of like yeah I can see how because there are certain junctures where you do kind of feel insane like you feel like your mind is just considering all these things that were very hard to consider at one point in life and it does deny a lot of the things that you were how you were acting and how you were motivated in your life so it can feel jarring and it can feel like there is no ground there is no center in your compass of life and that i mean that sometimes throws people you know in a spiral um and so I, but I knew in myself, I was like, I, this is right. I'm stable in this. There were moments where I lost it a little bit, but I kept it to myself and tried to not let anybody else get affected by my own spirals. And that's this endless lonely feeling, you know, that I did start to experience um, while being on the road and being like in such this moving and just moving all across the world. It was just odd to feel so alone in my own head. And, um, that was part of the challenge, but it honestly gave me my own safety net to just try these things in my head, try them out in reality and like test them in my own way and getting validation just in myself was enough. I didn't need anybody else to, um, come along and say, wow, this is cool. Let's do this together. You know, I, now at this juncture, like at a certain point, I, that's what I wanted, but I had gotten far enough to like know in myself that I believed it and that I had some stability there. Um, I have to pee. So sorry. Yeah, um, go ahead. This feels like a good pause. I will take this moment then to just say that, uh, go ahead and go pee. Um, the, uh, yeah, if this stuff doesn't resonate, that's totally fine. Uh, you don't need to keep listening if it's, if it's triggering you or making you, uh, you know, question a lot of the things in your life. I think it's good to question those. Uh, it's healthy. Um, but, you know, if this is triggering you, it's just this might not be for you right now. And that's totally cool. Um, but I just don't want to string people along, you know, through this podcast thinking I'm going to be talking about uh, stuff that, you know, you might assume that I would talk about music and being in a band. I mean, I think I will talk about those things. And one of my real motivations is... Uh, with this podcast is to talk about flow and, and making genuine, authentic art um, that means something to you and therefore it means something to other people. Uh, it's not chasing trends or chasing what the idea of success is in the pop world and all of that. Um, it's all, those are all to it to describe uh, and point to the experiences that we have as individuals. Um, and that's what makes it so magical and mysterious to me. I, I, I love that aspect of it, but it, it's, it's difficult to talk about. So, um, if this is off putting that it's, it's super, all right, you know, just don't, you don't need to listen to it. Um, and yeah, that's, that's that. Um, She's back from peeing in the woods. Um, so after the Carl Jung experiences, I uh, 
that was probably the most validating moment of this whole adventure because it was very obviously not in my own head, if that makes sense. It may, if you're thinking of this from the light of, um, you know, if people go mentally insane, they experience things in their own head and, and that's all just your mind. To me, this was not that. Like I had some stability in my own understanding and these experiences that happened were very much like something else communicating to me. And um, it was wild when it happened and I actually was slightly alarmed and somewhat scared, I guess. But it wasn't fear. It was just a like, oh my God, this is actually happening. And uh, I just calmly let it happen. And the more I did that, it actually started to happen more. Um, I just kind of gave into it. Um, and then it became very, it was a very blissful, odd experience um, that gave me some, some, uh, some messages of clarity for my own uh, path at the time. Can you tell me a little bit about what you, like a, a brief overview of what sort of things you learned from Carl Jung, like what kind of dots were connected? Yeah. Um, I don't know much about him. Well, there's a lot of stuff. It might be hard for me to think straight on it right now. I mean, a big thing that I got from from it was this interaction with the dream world and the hypnagogic state, which I have experienced times where I'm like struggling to fall asleep and uh, I'm kind of awake, but kind of not. And there's a, your mind gets like really active in those places so much so that you can't really write that stuff down. It's It's just like a hyper like an open sensory experience that you take a lot in um and so knowing that there was he was emphasizing those moments in the dream world and that hypnagogic state as a valuable tool to get information about yourself or about your experience and even about the collective consciousness that's going on in the world that drives our culture and drives our whole human experience together um and so that was, it put a lot of emphasis in my own life to listen to those moments. And I did, I started a dream journal during that and uh, was very adamant about like writing as much as I could down the next morning and then kind of putting it away. And then, you know, the next day doing that again. And then I would go back and look at that months later and I could see the, some of the messages, like I got what it was. Um, sometimes it was difficult in the moment because the dreams aren't really to be interpreted uh, so literally. It's it's about a lot about essence and what the characters in the dream represent to you. It's not like the person. So it does take some time to kind of really get the big picture. Um, and for me, a lot of it was just like first instincts on it, uh, like what I felt from that dream or when I would go back and read it, what the message came you know, is very like quick instinctual things after I had taken a break from it. So that dream journal that like helped so much through this process as I would look back to it in the rearview mirror as I went through, there was so much uh, clarity to my experiences that in the moment I was writing them down, um, it was just like some documentation of something that was going on internally that I didn't have access to in my mind in reality. Like, I couldn't have understood like why I was feeling anxious or why I felt a certain way about something in the moment. But with the dream later, I, it was like a roadmap. And I could, again, that was like a validating moment that there's something else 
happening in reality behind closed doors that is holds a lot of value. And not only that, but it, it is a part of our reality. You just can't see it with our eyes. And uh, it's more about feeling and it's more about like tapping into these subtle elements in reality. So that was like one of the biggest things I got from him. Um, I did read into a lot of his other books about alchemy and um, there's one called the... Uh, I'm going to forget what it is, but it is something about the lotus flower, sacred. I forget what it is, but it's pretty wild. Um, and so there there were a lot of things psychologically that I was like picking up through him um, that helped. He, he's the one who like kind of got me down the alchemy trap trap uh, path at one point. <laughs> trap. The trap. Beware they, they the are, alchemy <laughs> trap. They are kind of all traps if you just take them as full truth. That is one thing. I mean, again, open mind is the best uh, space to be exploring these things through because they all intertwine in a specific way if you just keep your mind open. Um, but that, that is how I approached a lot of these ideas. I would just, when I found out about alchemy, I was like all in and explore as much as I could with it. And it's real dense too, especially a lot of the like ancient literature about it. It's tough to understand. And Carl Jung's books on it were hugely thick and, and definitely tough to understand. But, um, you know, I finally hit a, a kind of a dead end with that and couldn't understand any further. And as I went through, you know, the process and went on to Terrence McKenna and then into like aliens and galactic stuff, the alchemy stuff that I learned and quite, quite didn't like know how to integrate now is becoming clear. And so I like oh. I picked up enough of it. And I think that is through all of this. It is like these things that you pick up and then put it down later. It makes sense. And that's what I feel like this whole process has been some kind of like spider web that is connecting itself as I go forward. These things years ago make sense, you know. And that was one thing that was interesting about being, you know, a Christian early in my life and being into the church um, and reading enough of the Bible. I didn't read read all of it or uh, really dive into it a bunch, but... Um, a lot of the truths in there, I think, I mean, I think there are truths in the Bible. It, it's, it's maybe been distorted into the, what we know as modern day Christianity or modern, modern day religions. It's been boxed up for a reason because other people have motivations to use it for something. Um, and when I left it, I did kind of throw a finger to it and be like, you know, fuck you, I'm done with this. You just threw me off so much in my life. But as I came back around in this spiritual exploration and reapproaching the Bible, there were amazing poetic, like cryptic truths in there that, again, like I was saying earlier, that a lot of these things are ineffable. You can't, it's hard to put words to point to the experiences or the thing that is subtly under um, reality. It's very difficult to put words to it because words are linear and they describe other specific things. And so, um, I could see in the Bible, like a lot of Jesus's teachings, what he was pointing to was very similar to like what I was going through personally. Um, and it, but it had this like cryptic poetic thing to it. And that was honestly like, I, re I really embraced that. I loved that, uh, you know, my hate for Christianity once I was atheist flipped around and became like a really big love for it. It was just that I didn't, understand it fully and I didn't know how to integrate some of those things into my life because it wasn't about like 
these morals of like this moral list of do's and don'ts and you can't do it was more than that it was like an all-encompassing thing when i looked back at it and that it i mean it's frustrating that that's the modern day thing is like this moral list that like to me kind of takes life experience from you or it doesn't allow you to have full experiences in life i mean the whole thing around sex and 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 drugs and not hanging out with uh only Christians and so many things that I did subscribe to um, that later in life became once I kind of deprogrammed myself from the guilt around them um, were very like expandable experiences for me uh, that had so much genuine love in them and, and just a big part of life that like had I just subscribed to that my whole life, I would have missed half of reality, you know? Yeah. And so that that was frustrating, but I, those truths were really cool to me, and I, and I love that this a lot of these all religions have these similar myths and stories they tell that are all pointing to this one thing, you know. And uh, to me, it primarily is like your own experience. It's like the ability to to find these things within yourself is is the key. It's not really to be found outside yourself and identify with other religions or other things like you have to integrate these what resonates to you as truth and what makes you feel something to follow that kind of uh trail in your own mind you know um so after that i think the timeline goes that i i then got back into terence mckenna if i can remember right um and started to really understand a lot of his gibberish that I wasn't understanding before. And it started to resonate, you know, much more so. And it was kind of the next stepping block for me. And uh, a lot of his ideas are around, they kind of stem from his psychedelic experience um, and his use of psychedelics. And uh, I had never done psychedelics up until that point. I had oddly been, I'd never really been offered psychedelics like being in the band in that uh, arena, you know, the drugs are flying around a lot. And I tried some other drugs, but I uh, was never offered psychedelics. I mean, I'd smoked, smoked weed, but... Uh, so I was very curious about it, and I um, knew that I wanted to try them, but I wanted to understand more about what he had to say about it. And I'm very... I'm so glad that I, that, that was my first introduction to it, to, like, from him to understand it, because he is kind of the the best mind around it that I've found um, his understanding of it, his ideas about the experience and wh what it is, what the mushrooms are. Um, he was a very smart individual that did a lot of studying on it, you know, and, and knows things about biology and chemistry and science. And, and then also has an open mind to like um, think about, the bigger picture of, of what the psychedelics are trying to get across. So after, you know, a month or so of, of doing my, my research on it and making sure that I was going to, um, do it in a safe and like properly intentional way. Uh, I did, I had my first trip. Um, and one of the things about it, I guess that it's, First of all, it's a little hard to talk about the psychedelics right now. I am like glitching right now in hesitation because I do have a little bit of a dramatic uh, 
thing that I'm in right now, my, uh, I've taken a break from, I, I smoked weed pretty regularly for the last couple of years. It was a wonderful creative tool for me, um, and doing music and stuff. And so I've found a lot of value in it. And then I explored psychedelics for, for a while, but I am going through a divorce and I'm actually being uh, withheld from my child around the idea that I have done these drugs. So I'm taking a break from them. I have been on a break from them for a while because, uh, you know, seeing my child is far more important to me than having a, a high here and there. And uh, so I do hesitate talking about this because it, it, I don't want it to be turned around on me. But um, I have done psychedelics in my past. Big deal. Uh, it was actually wonderful for me, and I healed an immense amount of things from it. So, And I know half the world is already on board with that, but I do live in the South, and it's a little weird here. <laughs> with the ideas around that. So, um, guys, weed, weed is illegal here. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> they sell it at the grocery store in LA. Yeah. Um, but I live in the woods, so I have a little bit of a safe Island that I live on that I can do it, um, with some comfort. Um, and I, you know, I did do these with my ex spouse's, uh, approval at the time. So, it's an odd world that we live in. It happens. But uh, yeah, you know, my, I, I'm away from it for now. So uh, it's all wonderful. But I, I tell you, these, these experiences I had were hugely transformative. And uh, I went into it with a lot of respect and a lot of intention and consideration to, to what was going on. And um, with a lot of intention of stabilizing those experiences as I came back into reality. It's a lot about integration and um, set and setting was a big thing. I did them all um, alone in darkness by myself um, in my studio locked up and uh, is all about dosage too. Terrence McKenna's emphasis on um, mushrooms specifically were that it's all about the dosage. A lot of people don't get it, um, get the message because they're not having enough and they don't, you know, do it in the proper setting, too. Mushrooms, I don't think, are a party drug at all. And you actually, um, it's a little more confusing to do them in those scenarios because of what is happening, um, what the drug is doing. So, again, so, yeah, I did them by myself and had uh, my first experience was pretty subtle, actually. Um, I took five grams alone in dark and darkness, and I just felt kind of high, like a weed high for the most part. Um, and one of the Terrence McKenna things he says, you know, is mushrooms tend to be very gentle and easy on the first time user. And um, I had a pretty high tolerance with weed already. So I figured I was just like, man, I, I must, I, maybe I need to take more. It seems like that was a lot, but um, I didn't get a lot of messages and a lot of aha moments from it. I basically just near the end of it before I was going to bed, had a bizarre uh, fast-forward rewind experience through the TV, which I thought was part of the show. And then I, I remember looking to my um, ex-wife now and asking about that, why it was rewinding. And I was like, you know, pretty much coming down by now. I was like six hours past the thing. And um, she was like, what do you mean is rewinding? I looked back at the TV is still rewinding and then I looked at her and she was rewinding like in reality she was rewinding 
<laughs> and at that point, you know, I think mushrooms do make you a little bit um, lethargic near the end. And so I was so tired. I I just saw her rewinding and was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> Were you alone in the dark and then uh, felt like nothing was happening? So then you went up to catch some TV? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time just in the darkness and nothing much happening. I, again, I felt like a body high of sorts, but it was pretty uneventful for everything that I heard Terrence talking about. You know, he talks about like machine elves and all these. these... Five grams, my goodness. I, di- I, did that, I did a big dose once in my life and that was, you know. Yeah, and you had like good mushrooms probably too yeah i don't know where i got these from so that's part of it i do think that is a big uh i put a lot of emphasis on that now is know where you're getting them from because this is all about energy and like how those mushrooms were picked how they were grown who they were passed to in the process i think is a huge thing to consider it will affect your trip. sounds like yours were made by network television <laughs> yeah totally um what was I watching at the time? The Office. I was going to say, it was strange. Is that when you watch TV when you're on Mushrooms? Because I don't, I guess I've seen you watch like three shows. But. Yeah, I don't really watch much TV. Um, but yeah, I had finally, like it had been enough time and I was like, well, I guess this is it. I guess I need to do research and maybe I need to do more. But and so I went up to the house and then, uh, yeah, I got in bed and that happened. So, um I think I waited another, like two weeks or something before I did it again. And then the second one, I really had a lot of questions that I was bringing into it, a lot of intention. Um, and that was a much more wild trip. And that's the first time that I got the like genuine mushroom experience. A lot of hallucinations, a lot of uh, blissful, warm hugs from the Divine Mother. <laughs> um, and... The idea of oneness, that feeling of oneness and seeing a lot of of the way that looks as far as uh, nature and people. And um, it's really difficult to bring a lot of those ideas back from those experiences because the way I uh, kind of feel that what's happening is that it's a... And actually the first, that that trip, I had an overwhelming feeling right when I got into the like peak of it the first thing that came up in my mind was this is a possible place to get without the drug. It was like, I, our mind can do this without the drug. And it felt like this was psychedelics were a way to feel what it can be like and see some of that. It also is a way to like, it, it removes the boundaries from your ideas of culture and of life. It just lifts those right away and when you do that, you're, you have like an overwhelming amount of extra senses. And that's why it's hard to bring it back and put it into words because words are so linear and like rigid. The ideas that you get in like a matter of 10 seconds would take like three books to write about to describe and like fully unpack what was happening. So I, uh, but I remember feeling that, that that was like a funny thing. I was like, I think it felt in my mind, it was almost like some muscle was flexing allowing me to see the uh, illusions or the hallucinations and then that there was just like an, another open neuron or something in my mind that was bringing in all of the other sensory stuff the ideas and the feelings and the um, epiphanies and stuff that was it just felt like I could get there without it and so I kept that in my mind every time that I did do psychedelics after that to try to remember as as it was peaking or like riding up to the peak and coming down, 
trying to take note of like what my body was feeling and what was activating and not to try to be like, can I do this without the drug, you know? Um, and so I, I, again, I have a whole podcast on psychedelics. I just, I have a lot of thoughts around it, but, um, Terrence McKenna, like I, I would do, I'd do a trip and then I would listen to more Terrence McKenna and it kind of would activate some more ideas and I would keep expanding my mind through that. Um, and I then took a break for a while and, uh, I tried LSD at one point as well. Um, a lower dose, um, and had a, you know, a good experience with that as well. But I think I really was primarily focused on the mushrooms because it was more of a, I was into the fact that it was from nature and it was like an organic thing. And, uh, they seemed to be more useful for healing things, for healing, you know, these anxieties or depression or trying to discover this deeper part of myself. And they are difficult at times. Um, I mean, I did have a couple difficult trips, but I also understood, you know, listening through Terrence McKenna and some other people talking about it, that this was all your mind. It's not, you know, a lot of people talk about bad trips. I'm so scared to do it because I'm going to have a bad trip. But those difficult trips to me were some of the most beneficial and part of it was understanding that this isn't something other than me. This, these mushrooms are, it's a chemical compound that is activating my mind and, and lifting these boundaries that I've had that, to protect myself from the shadows in my mind. Those are gone now. So those places that I've been hiding from are now going to come to the forefront uh, at a certain part of the trip or right away. And um, that was worth it to me to try to, get those things in the front of my mind and unpack them, see them, welcome them in. And the minute I would do that, um, and Terrence McKenna had a whole theory about this is that you, to not resist those moments when you feel uncomfortable or like, you know, I had a moment where there was this gigantic snake on top of me trying to crush me. <laughs> great, great advertisement here for psychedelics. Yeah. Um, but it is part of it, I, I think. And, but the thing that got me past it was to remember in the moment, um, that this is not real. I can't die from this. It is almost impossible to, um, hurt yourself or die from, from mushrooms. It's the LD50, they call it, which is a lethal dose limit is very, very high. You're more likely to kill yourself with Tylenol. Again, this is probably bad advertisement, for <laughs> but, um, that, it made those difficult moments much easier to diverse as I just kind of opened myself up to it and welcomed that in and tried to just say, okay, if you're going to crush me, crush me, snake, let's do it. Like crush me. And then the thing would turn around, the trip would become, you know, rainbows, the snake would leave. And then I would start to get these ideas and epiphanies. And so I felt that there was this dance that happened in those, in those spaces of your mind that, and it was doing a lot of benefit for me to get over some of those fears and, and really approach some of those shadows that I was hiding from myself that were more difficult to approach in waking life and sober. Um, I, my mind would set up these little walls that I couldn't even get to it. So that's what was so helpful to me with those psychedelics was at that point of my, um, I keep calling it adventure of awakening. Process. Yeah, the process was was super helpful to start to learn how to integrate a lot of the, the knowledge that I had, had gained. Um, and then that was kind of, and that's kind of where I've, I've gotten to now, I guess I, 
I did go on a little bit of a um, side rabbit trail uh, on on aliens and galactic beings and and this universe, more of these universe concepts, which are are fun to uh, to explore. And again, they all kind of lead back there. Uh, all this stuff that Alan Watts is talking about, and uh, a lot of these religions, like. Um, Hinduism and Buddhism and shaman shamanism. There's so much that actually like coincides with the galactic stories and the alien stories. They're much more. They're harder to kind of really like sit through because some of the people. You know, David Wilcock was one that I kind of like listened to for a while, and he's kind of he's kind of kind of nerdy, kind of funky. To like some of the like dialogue around it is like it just sounds so sci-fi, and it's kind of comical. But I did pick up little bits about it that resonated and that were very interesting to consider and uh, explore down for a while. But I kind of pumped the brakes on that after a bit because it did feel like that was just a, it's its own little avenue of of awakening and spiritual concepts that is for some people. And maybe it's just at a certain point. I don't know. But uh, that was kind of the last thing that I really went down on the trail and... Uh, yeah, now I feel like it's a lot of it is just I get most of my um, education or ideas from trying to embrace personal experience more and, and seeing the like expansiveness of just like the moment, the now moment, like how much is actually there to take in and see if you're willing to see it. Um, and that kind of goes back to the thing with psychedelics is that I have had moments where I have gotten close to feeling some of those feelings in psychedelics completely sober, but I, I had to be in a very high resonant like place in my mind and feeling very good and out in nature and uh, tuning into that. I could see, I can like feel that there is, it's kind of a, a big part of this is not just going away, you know, like you said in that, that step process from the, uh, the awakening in the beginning that there's a moment where you kind of want to just go away in the woods and be a Zen Buddhist or whatever and disappear. The cocoon. The cocoon, um, which I, I've had many times where I, that's all I want to do and feel like that there is a lot of wonderful, blissful moments and just meditating for hours. And when you can really get into that space, you, it's hard to like want to leave. But um we are like humans on this earth. And I think that there's a lot of value to getting these messages and meditating, doing that, but then integrating it back into your life and then moving forward in life and being actionable, doing things you want to do and trying to create a career or make art. One of the biggest things I think for artists is to like find these places in your mind, whether it's through psychedelics or meditating and, and doing all that, and then bring that back and create with it because those are, you know, I've always believed like art leads culture, like art comes first and then the culture kind of follows that and that there's so much out there that we, a lot of people like haven't even tried to uh, tap into and explore. And like the more you can do that, the more important it is for you to then come back and do it and, and reality and make art and create things. Um, so, you know, there were times where I wanted to just disappear and I was pretty, um, reclusive in life but uh 
I, it's now kind of just coming back to like, it's about integrating it into your experience in life and you can grow so much more that way and, um, see things more clear in that process. And then also share some of those, uh, ideas or feelings in your art, you know, and I think that that's, what's really important for artists to be able to do that, to, to make art from your soul. That's authentic. And if you can, you know, find yourself first and find, get all of these shadow parts out of your life and be able to like fully, uh, operate, um, as an individual, like you have so much more ability to make, uh, really impactful art. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's like the, the weapon of choice to save, not save the world, but make, make it a better place, I guess, you know, as artists, they have the, they have the ability to do it. Now, I assume that you are, um, emerging in your stage four has probably been a theme for you in 2020. So, um, the hermit or the cocoon phase would maybe be your last couple of years, your mm -hmm. last year at least. And so uh, a pull inwards, spending time alone in reflection, questioning everything you've been told, a pull toward uh, learning everything you can, avoiding small talk. This is a pretty um, uh, introverted phase of this process. And now you're kind of moving towards stage four the or in stage four of the rebirth with expanded consciousness. You experience what it is to access choice beyond ego, you'll be pulled to show others. So um, good timing on your part, because you're like, I'll come out of this chrysalis during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, literally like uh, yeah, during a pandemic and just before our new civil rights uh, movement comes back into play. Yeah, It was like a week before the Minneapolis thing happened, I think. Uh, the podcast launch, yeah. Yeah. Um, what has that, process been like for you i know for maybe you don't want to get into this but mine was a little bit different i did near-death experience but i was already kind of living in a in a kind of off the grid life but um that is not a nice way to put it um but i have found a lot through this community that kind of the life that you had before you went into that cocoon doesn't exist when you come out obviously that that has been the case there yeah um it's difficult for people um family and and um friends and and whatever to kind of process these huge shifts that happen, especially if they personally like have not reached that. I think that everyone reaches this point in their life in this lifetime, but maybe not. But um, it can be d jarring for people for like that many changes to have taken place in someone they care about. Um, and often I feel like it causes separation. Yeah. Or yeah, well that obviously, but um it can also just in, in the trying to let the world see you and know you, it is like whew, a lot of dots to connect. Yeah. That's, uh, that's my, that was the biggest difficulty in me even like accepting in myself that I was going to do a podcast and try to talk on a microphone about my own life or about thoughts. And, um, there's so much to unpack and I have lived a very mysterious life, I guess, in a lot of ways. 
that I didn't realize I was doing. But I remember having friends, like in my old band Malbec, they would constantly, we were in that band for five years, and I feel like all the way through that, you know, we would just be, you know, pissing around, drinking and talking, telling stories, and then I would tell a story or something, and they'd be like, wait, you you were what? You pole vaulted? You did what? <laughs> Uh, and then I'd just be like, oh, right. Like, I, yeah, I guess I haven't told you about my life. I don't know. I sometimes don't feel a lot of uh, draw to, like, brag about things in my life or, like, reference things like that. Um, so I tend to not share a lot of internal things that have happened to me or experiences unless it comes up naturally in a story and it feels like, oh, this is a funny thing or something. It comes up. So... Uh, it was, it is odd, like getting into a, um, position of being, you know, seen a lot more on, on the, on the face of being in a band and being like in pictures and on TV and stuff. There's a lot of assumptions that go around that would, from people on the outside that just think they know me because I'm in that band or even old friends that knew me at one point. Um, but I've changed a lot, you know, now. And so then they think, when I talk to them, they're, they're talking to me from that person that was in high school with them. Yeah. And I'm someone that actually, I love change. And so I've always been open to that in my life and I kind of pivot quickly and I, I learn things and I integrate them in and then I, I, I just change a lot. And so there's sometimes, I mean, within a month of, of time, I can be a very different person. Um, there are a lot of core things about me that I haven't changed. You know, I am still like this, I am who I am, I guess, but, um, yeah, it's it's difficult to try to get to a point where I'm going to be vulnerable and authentic on a microphone and talk about things without unpacking parts of my life to give some kind of context to it, to not just, yeah, really quickly sound like I'm insane or like, what have I done? What drug did you take? And in a moment, you flipped around and became this person. It really wasn't like that at all. Like, it was, it was a long process for me. And I just was quiet about it because I felt no... I didn't feel safe to talk about it with a lot of people um, that I could trust or that had seen parts of me and could understand some of the wacky parts of me, like pivoting quickly or obsessing about something for a moment of time and then jumping off of it, going to something different. It, it was difficult to find people around me that could hang with that um, and also weren't like offended by me not talking to them for a year or something because of being in the band and jumping everywhere or just going through drama in life, you know? Um, but I, I do have some core friends that just reach out when they can. And, and I reach out when I can. And it's, it's a real quick of just back on to the normal um, relationship and catch up and it's great, you know? And then there are some people that take it very personally when I, I don't reach out or I don't, you know, update them on my life. And it, it, it's just so difficult to up, keep updated on my life. It's like a wild, it's just like a crazy train ride. It's not, it's not easy for me to do that. And so that, that has been difficult uh, to be quiet through a lot of change and then come out, you know, all of a sudden and try to start talking about things that are going on currently in my life that I'm really excited to talk about or feel like there's value to talk about because of what's going on in the world and watching this kind of mass awakening happening with a bunch of people starting to accept ideas of reality that were more difficult to accept 10 years ago or even five years ago or even a freaking month ago now. It's like <laughs> how quickly things are moving. 
I really feel like, like a strong desire to make art that's congruent with the current thing now and, and talk about it in a way. Not like I know everything and that I'm here to like teach people at all. I, I, I don't want to do that. But I do find a lot of value in hearing from other people's experiences and learning from that. You know, that's a lot of this happened too um, when I started getting into listening to podcasts. And it's how I found you. Um, was just listening to other people's experiences. Um, Duncan Trussell's podcast was like a huge influence on me because of the way he speaks about his own opinions and his own experience. And like I, I gained so much um, uh, learning from that, just applying it to my own experience and seeing some congruencies there and also help me not feel super alone. I'm like, okay, there's somebody else going through this as well or like in a similar way. Um, and it would hop around through podcasts that re resonated, um, and then eventually got me to yours. And, uh, so I, I do think that there's so much value in that, but for me, it, it there's a difficult, uh, traversing kind of thing that I have to kind of get to that moment to be able to, to explain some of it. So yeah, the first part of this podcast is going to be a little bit of that, I guess. Um, or maybe this is the one that does it. Uh, and create some sort of bridge to this new place to talk about it in a very authentic way and not glitch on my words because I'm trying to uh, not sound insane from the past like five years that have happened. You know? Yeah, it's um, as, as uh, I know at first your plan was to just talk about art or something for a little bit and then and then ease in to the woo. And it's so funny when you're like, I'm going to start this podcast and be authentic about my authentic experience. And then there's just something that's like, all right, oh, I'm going to hold you to that. And if you try to record an episode, this has been my experience. Every time I try to record an episode that isn't from just like the core truth of where I'm at, um, it doesn't work. I'll stumble over my words. My energy will dip. It won't be compelling. I'll like talk in circles. And that doesn't mean that I don't find a deeper level of the truth later, but that I have to get to the, I have to cut to the absolute core of where it's at. And it's like your life is lived through the lens of this. So get to this. And it's like, okay, well, I have people have a very different impression. So yeah. here's the story of that. But I thought it was, I thought it was compelling and very interesting. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's, uh, it's difficult, I think, for everybody that's going through a personal experience to try to feel like you want to share it to be understood or be validated in some way. But I do think there is a lot of benefit of, you know, discerning things for yourself and just doing the work yourself and staying to that. And you can figure it out later to how to explain it to people. I and mean, I'm doing that right now. And I, I have been very fearful of it because i just don't know how it's going to be accepted i to this point i don't really care because it's helped me so much so fuck off just i don't know figure it out but i i do think there's a lot of value in having uh your own personal experience through it and not being you know thrown off of that by other people's opinions about it and so i'm glad that i did it in somewhat of a protective way with myself but um now it's time to come out of the closet, I guess, if I want to really talk about it and try to make some, create things around it, you know. I feel like I want to define spiritual awakening for people who um, 
aren't sure exactly what we're talking about. Spiritual awakening is mostly about figuring out your own mind, how your mind works, maybe some wiring under the board to steal my favorite Terrence McKenna, maybe the only Terrence McKenna (laughs) phrase I know I got it from a rave song. Um, So maybe there's more to reality than we have had presented to us our entire lives. And and we kind of know that. There's like a sense of that. And religion kind of um, goes at it in the completely wrong way. And we don't really know ourselves and we don't know what makes us tick. And we don't understand the way that the programming affects and everything else. So the, the spiritual awakening is the process of getting down to that programming, figuring it out, figuring out what you actually want, like what you truly want from life, what different aspects of yourself are affecting your reality, like your ego, your um, people-pleasing, your tendency to um, make yourself small for the benefit of others, your attachment system. There's a lot of like mental health stuff really in here. Um, And then there's, it can get like, infinitely weird you know but most of the even the most infinitely weird stuff is just another set of archetypes for the same things that we're experiencing here on earth so it is fun to think about reincarnation and psychic powers and everything else but it all just like comes down to like what is the way that we are experiencing this reality and perhaps the reason that everyone's so unhappy is because the box that it's been put in to get us to go to work every day at a job that we hate come back to a relationship that's not working stay on that hamster wheel of buying things that don't actually make you happy and consuming food that isn't good for your body like maybe there's a reason why none of that is making us happy and if we start to unpack these things and figure out who we actually are, we start to actually plug into what this is actually about. Yeah, I love that. Or something. Or something. Uh, it made me just think of this quote. I write Terrence McKenna, Terrence McKenna, <laughs> McKenna quotes down all the time. Um, it just kind of goes off the back of what you're saying. It says, religion is simply the word we use to describe our intuition that there is something outside the culture and the 3D surface of things. I feel like that's a really good way of like what it originally was it was like a some kind of way to try to describe those things and then it became a very rigid list of things to do and not to do and it kind of got put into this other control mechanism in some way right but ultimately it is um it's something that's trying to point to and describe something that is hard to describe because it's beyond uh what we like touch and feel and see all the time you know so I feel like that's a good, it's it's not to like totally diss religions, but it kind of is, I guess. Yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> um, it is difficult. One of the mechanisms in the programming that we have is that we want to control things outside of ourselves. And that's one of the processes in the spiritual awakening is realizing that like other people are your, not yours to control. Absolute truth is is a lot foggier than we think it is and that everything we want to control is usually a a reflection of something inside of ourselves that needs to be healed and so religion is a great example of what happens when you get a morsel of truth and then you apply all of this human error this unconscious human error to it it's like well here's this morsel of truth i shall rule the congregation with it totally gosh it's crazy man um, 
Anything else you want to say? Where can people find you, Mark? Well, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Fat Horse Ranch, if you don't already know that. And then um, on Twitter, I'm a little bit more on Twitter now. I haven't been on there for like three years. Uh, but Mark Pontius, it's pretty basic. And then uh, that's all I got, I think. I'm on Facebook too, but not really. Don't go follow me there. It's not yeah. really. Let's not do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I, I want to eventually get some Patreon or something going a little bit more focused around this podcast because I do want to just uh, put some other content out and make a playlist or make music that's just for for this, not to be like on some record or any of that um, and videos and stuff, but just kind of going with the flow, see what it turns into. But for now, uh, this is that. Well, how do you shed your culture? How do you transcend your culture? By digging into your soul with the tools that have been given you to make art. This is how cultures are transformed. By art which flows up and actually submerges the previous cultural forms. I mean, uh, uh, the Baroque gave way to later periods simply out of exhaustion. But notice, a style can exhaust itself and still continue as mannerism did out of the Renaissance, for example. And when these exhausted styles are allowed to continue, they become toxic. They become moribund. It's like keeping a corpse around the house. Uh, there is an obligation to overthrow that, to produce the new, to produce the novel. And by the novel, I don't mean the literary form. I mean all things new. And then uh, it is not the function of the artist to be the critic. Uh, the, the winnowing out, the deciding what is good from what is bad comes later. And that's a community process. The community decides what is good and bad art, but the individual should pour this forth. I mean, this is what you are. You are some kind of a mystery suspended between two eternities. And in that moment, when a mind looks out at a world and asks the question, what is it? In that moment, uh, art can be created. And it is the only form of immortality that I have any certainty of. And it's available to everyone.